With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey everybody, welcome to Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. This is John Suntris. Today, Rich Coes, a.k.a. the horror host Sven Gulli, a Chicago television institution, now a national celebrity thanks to MeTV. Rich started as Sven Gulli in 1979, back when every big city still had a local television host and entertainment shows. Every weekend, he'd host a classic or cheesy horror film and do jokes, parody songs, and comedy sketches in between film scenes. He was there after the original horror hosts of the 50s and 60s, like Vampira and Gulari, but well before Elvira and Mystery Science Theater 3000. As Rich likes to point out, each show has its own style. Today, we talk about how he makes the Sven show, the movies that he has access to, celebrity guests and shout-outs he's received from many pop culture stars. We also get into our mutual love of the Three Stooges and Stooge Mysteries, like the fake Shemp films. Catch Sven every Saturday night at 8 p.m. Eastern on MeTV. And, of course, come see us talk at our live Q&A at C2E2 this coming Saturday, April 7th, at 1.45 p.m. I'm really looking forward to extending the conversation. I just wanted today to uh, give us a chance, the Word Balloon audience a chance, if you if you don't watch Sven Gulli, to uh, catch him here and uh, hopefully uh, make you want to see the show not only at C2E2, but of course weekly with Sven Gulli as well. As a kid growing up in the 70s and 80s, I was really lucky to come into pop culture awareness when I did because local pop culture still mattered. And uh, not only uh, from a sports standpoint, but uh, really it was the tail end of local TV still being important and vital beyond giving us news and sports, but literally entertainment shows, talk shows, and shows like Sven Gulli. Radio was still pretty vibrant, too. We had The Usual Suspects, a great comedy team on WXRT, who were still producing comedy bits well into the late 80s, and uh, examples again like uh, Rich himself. And uh, the original Sven Gulli, Jerry G. Bishop, which talks about uh, them working together on WMAQ, but they would produce comedy bits. And that's the thing. I mean, there was just this real lean towards entertainment and not just presenting songs on the radio or on television. And uh, it's great to see that even though that's all died down, people that are really great at it still have a platform to do it. And that's why I think it's great that uh, Rich is that exception and is too good to uh, allow, you know, that style of uh, local entertainment go by. And again, it's great now to see him get this national recognition through Sven Gulli's syndication through MeTV. Rich Coase on today's Word Balloon. Rich Coase, a.k.a. Sven Gulli. It's a pleasure to have you on Word Balloon, man. Welcome. Thank you, John, and thank you for pronouncing my last name correctly. I I'm often called Coase. Well, I'm an old, I'm an old Cozone uh, viewer, so uh, you know. Hey, man, I'll be honest. I uh, I go back to the Jerry G. Bishop days. Uh, so, oh, cool! Absolutely, man. So, no, I'm really excited about our our panel at C2E2 coming up, and uh, great great opportunity today to uh, warm the word balloon audience up and uh, you know get a few more converts to 
to fill the room. You have no problem filling a room, Rich. I have seen you in action at autograph sessions and other live appearances, and I am so glad that you are the Chicago institution that you are. Well, that, that's really nice of you to say, John. And, you know, I, I do worry that, you know, we'll get up there to do that panel and we'll have uh, four guys there and two of them will be janitors. <laughs> but I, I, it's very cool. And it's just amazing to me that now, you know, since we're national, I hear from these people all over the country who are, who are into the show now. And it, it really blows me away. Understood. And, and, you know, you represent that original generation of uh, television viewers that got a local horror uh, host. I, I wonder, because you're, you're like, you know, maybe 10 years or so older than me. So growing up, um, you know, the everyone or some geeks may know that when Universal put together a, a syndication package of the classic 30s and 40s uh, horror movies and stuff, that's really when the horror host phenomena really began. Exactly. In the 50s, they put together a whole package that they called the Shock Package, which is why in so many different cities around the country, there was a show called Shock Theater, mm-hmm. because they, they just adapted that. And they ran all the Universal stuff, and uh, starting, I guess, with Vampira out on the West Coast and Zachary over on the East Coast. And here in Chicago, we had Terry Bennett as Marvin, those were like the uh, the main three people that that started the whole whole trend. And Marvin was an alien, or what was Marvin? No, actually, he was he was like a beatnik ghoul, sort of. Oh wow! He had his own band. Yeah, he had his own band and everything. It was it was a very cool thing. I was pretty young at the time, so I didn't always get to stay up late. <laughs> and I only saw his show, I think, maybe two or three times when we were visiting relatives, and it was okay to be up that late. <laughs> I understand. Well, and I uh, grew up watching Sven Gulli. I was born in uh, 1964, and I was a little kid, yeah, trying to stay up late on a Friday night or Saturday night. And, uh, you know, the original Sven Gulli, uh, you know, of course, originally you were the son of Sven Gulli. Uh, the older older yeah. listeners might know that. But, uh, yeah, tell us about the, the first Sven Gulli. The first Sven Gulli was a very talented man, Jerry G. Bishop who I was in, like, junior high when I first heard him, and he was uh, a disc jockey and did morning, uh, mornings on WCFL. Very funny, very quick-witted guy. Uh, I loved the stuff that he did, and, and his sense of humor was kind of close to mine anyway. And he also ended up working at WFLD at kind of the same time and became a staff announcer there and did various programs. And he just happened to be the staff announcer on duty, because at the time, that time, they had live staff announcers all the time. Mm-hmm. And he was the one on duty Friday nights when they were running the horror movies. And when he did the announcements, he started goofing around and doing an accent and adding in more jokes and such in the announcements he was doing and developed that into his Svengooli character. <laughs> and I remember Svengu- the original Svengooli, the first Svengooli, because you're an original on your own, obviously, and it certainly made it your own. But, uh, you know, he was he was like a ghoul hippie, as I remember, right? Didn't he have a headband and long hair and white white face and everything? Yes. Yeah, he had, a, he had a headband, he had long green hair, and his mustache and goatee were green. He wore a sweatshirt and these god-awful red, white, and blue striped bell-bottom pants. <laughs> and uh, and he, he could play the guitar and he would do little song things, so that's why he enlisted me to write song parodies for him. 
And uh, it went from, at first it was just the voiceover announcements, then they shot still pictures of him on slides that they would use, well, to go with his voiceovers, and eventually the show was done on videotape, and uh, was, you know, the video inserts in between parts of the movie. Wow, that's amazing, because yeah, I remember it being on video, I didn't realize the life it had prior to going on videotape, that's amazing. There are a couple clips of his stuff, right, on YouTube, isn't, isn't there a little bit out there? Yeah, you can find some. Unfortunately, there weren't too many tapes of his shows that survived sure. from that era. And, uh, you can, yeah, you can find stuff, most definitely. And it's funny when I see some of it, and I remember, hey, I wrote that. That's fantastic. Because <laughs> at the time, the way I got involved was I was just a fan of his, like I said, from his radio work and then when he was doing that. And uh, he started reading jokes that people sent in. And so I'd send him some stuff, and, and he appreciated it. And he found out that at the time I was a, a college student and studying broadcasting. So he, he got me more involved. He would start to assign me specific things like, can you make a parody of such and such a commercial or whatever? And uh, then brought me in. I was doing off-camera voices for him. And eventually was, was working with him on the show every week. And after that was canceled and he went on, he was on WMAQ radio. I was his producer, quote, sidekick. Uh, and I was about maybe 80% of the people that he interviewed on the phone being different people. <laughs> That's excellent. I know Phil Hendry has continued that uh, tradition. He was doing it in the 90s and still does that now online, uh, having having fake uh-huh. guests and the, those kinds of shtick. You know, that's a great thing, Rich. You grew up with uh, sketch comedy on radio, and certainly it even obviously goes back to people like Bob and Ray and, and even earlier than that, but... I love, and also the fact that you get to be a local television entertainer, and there are so few jobs like that left, and it's so fantastic that you're doing it here in Chicago, but also now with the syndication thing, that people really know who you are and really appreciate your comedy. Yeah, it's nice, because as you know now, with TV, mostly it's news, public affairs, sports, and the occasional, you know, sort of talk show or something like Windy City Live or something like sure. that. And that's it. You know, nobody does real flat-out entertainment-type stuff. And I'm very fortunate to be working at a place where my boss, Neil Saban, really appreciates that. That's the kind of stuff he grew up on and always loved. And that was one of the reasons why he brought me into to this uh, broadcasting company, because he enjoyed that kind of stuff and he liked what I did and uh, felt that it had a place. And since, you know, MeTV that we're on now is memorable entertainment television. It's TV shows that people always used to love watching. And, uh, you know, part of that is the, the hosted-type shows that really don't exist that much anymore. That, that's another memorable type of entertainment on TV that people really enjoy. Well, yeah, and you get to present not only the classic horror films, but also a lot of the great schlock that came out uh, in the in the 60s and 70s uh, with kind of familiar faces, Forrest Tucker from F Troop and William Shatner and DeForest Kelly from Star Trek popping up in horror films. So it's it's doubly good that it's, you know, kind of not only a, a silly, poorly made horror film or sci-fi film, but, you know, you get to see, you know, Jack Palance in a sci-fi film, something crazy like that. 
Yeah, there's such a wide range of actors and actresses that have shown up in these movies. Uh, it just recently we showed Ants, which was a made-for-TV 70s movie. Uh-huh. And, you know, people like Linda Day George and Suzanne <laughs> Summers are in there. Uh, you get to see these things, and at times it's not like it's <laughs> their most impressive uh, sort of sort of appearance. But, you know, even in, in some of the stuff that we consider semi-classics now, like The Blob, yes. you know, that was early Steve McQueen. True. No question. And then, you, you know... You, you get to see him, as you, in the words of Ed Norton, you get to see him on the way up and on the way down. <laughs> Same thing happens in the sewer. Absolutely. Well, and, um, you know, I wondered, because obviously you guys lean into a lot of the B-movies that were made and things like that, but now there is that other, like, group of films uh, that were big-budget films in their day and kind of do look corny and are certainly part of pop culture parody. Things like Fantastic Voyage. Or the original Westworld. Would those be movies that you guys would shoot for? Are they too expensive to get? Um, you know, where do they fall as, as possible f- fodder for your show? A lot of that stuff isn't available to us just because it's already under exclusive contract to a different network or company at this time. Okay. Um, if we could get them, sure, we, we, we would do them, that kind of stuff. Uh, we do try to keep it pretty much rated PG for the most part since that's part of the whole idea of, of me TV. Sure. And we don't want to get anything that's too upsetting. And you know, a lot of times when I'm doing these movies, if there is something that might be a little upsetting to people, I'll make sure that I put a warning in. And there are people who go, oh, why are you warning people? It's a horror movie. But I know there are people, families that watch, and they have kids there. And, you know, you might want to just know that so you can use some parental discretion as to whether or not you should watch the next scene. Yeah, as opposed to some of the uh, 60s and 70s Italian horror that we got on, TV, on local TV back in the in the 70s or 80s and stuff. And yeah, I, I understand. You don't want to traumatize little kids. And I know for a fact, anecdotally, a lot of friends who watch the show with their kids. And in fact, uh, some of the comic book creators that are coming to C2E2, I let them know that uh, I was going to be talking to you. And they're like, oh my God, me and my kid watch it every week. Of course we know who Swanguli is. So, you know, yeah, I, I get it. And and that's great. And also, I love how educational your show is, too. And that you really do spend some of those uh, interstitial moments in between the film where you do come on and go, all right, that character actor, you know, they also did X, Y, and Z. Or you might recognize Gail Gordon from, you know, whatever. Stuff like that. And I love that you do that. Uh, being an old movie fan, and clearly, I'm, I'm glad the show reflects that. That not only are you having fun with the movies, but really honoring this stuff and pointing out the gold that's in between the schlock. Oh, sure. And, you know, one thing, you know, just like you, I'm a fan of old movies and old TV shows. And how many times do you see somebody and you think, I know this guy, but I don't know where I know him from. So we try to fill in that information for the viewers so that they know, oh, yeah, that's the guy who used to be in F Troop or whatever. <laughs> Absolutely, man. That's great. Um, I, uh, I also I want to ask, because you're at, you know, I'm sure you, I know you do horror conventions as well as full-on comic cons. Um, were you a comic book reader when you were a kid? Oh, yeah. I still have my, like, era 1963-64 DC comics at home. That's great. And the, the thing is, you know, I never used to keep them in the plastic bags with the backing papers or anything. Sure. Basically, I read them, and I reread them, and, you know, they're not going to be, you know, quality graded, certainly. 
But I always have told people that that's also, I think, one of the ways I learned about writing. Because, you know, you could see with the stories, most of them had a beginning, a middle, and an end. And you learn little devices about writing from them. And then, of course, when I got into the Marvel stuff as well, it's like, you know, here's these continuing stories that had these story arcs that went in different directions, but still came together from issue to issue. And, uh, yeah, I was always a, a very big fan of, of stuff. I was very pleased to find out that George Perez is, is a fan of mine. Oh, that's and, great. Uh, and, uh, of course, Alex Ross is a real good friend. <laughs> and he used to watch me when he would come into town during the summers as a kid <laughs> to spend summers with his grandmother. And uh, we, we just happened to, to have somebody that uh, we, both, we both knew that kind of put us together, and uh, it was it was very cool to find out that that he was a fan as well. That's excellent. Do you still read any comics today? Oh yeah, I I, I can't keep up with them at this point just because I've got so much going on. Sure. But I do, yeah. I I enjoy reading comics, and I get a little confused sometimes because the characters have changed from what they were back when I first was reading them, sure. and since I haven't been reading steadily, you know, it's like. Wait a minute. When did he? When did he become black? <laughs> sure. <laughs> Stuff like that. Absolutely. I remember when Nick Fury was white. <laughs> yeah, they just finally kind of cleaned up that continuity and uh, put uh, old Nick Fury in an, a different position now in the Marvel universe, so that uh, Samuel L. Jackson-looking younger Nick Fury can uh, take his comic book place and you know that hey that was a big boost <laughs> you know having having Samuel L all of a sudden everybody loved Nick Fury again it was pretty cool i agree i was i was an old Nick Fury fan as well because he came from that super spy man from uncle era that even in the 70s you know we were still all excited about oh and that reminded me cuz i noticed you know mostly on on the show it's either horror films or sci-fi films um i would you ever do like a, a goofy western or a, a great, you know, secret age, a schlocky secret agent movie. Oh sure, we did a uh, sort of a Son of Hercules type movie. Oh, fantastic! That I think we'll rerun this 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 summer. Um, yeah, and, and of course there there is that vampire western, <laughs> that uh, Curse of the Undead. I don't know if you've ever seen that. Oh, where the gunslinger is the gunslinger is actually a vampire. <laughs> <laughs> And you know, he actually most of the time comes off as a kind of nice guy, which is weird. Is that from but, the fifties uh, or the sixties? It's fifties, uh, I believe. Wow, black and white, and uh, it, it's pretty amusing. <laughs> I um, and that was another thing. Like, I know that uh, there are people that are out there making obviously schlocky movies. In the eighties, we had like Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, certainly, but even now. I uh, I know people that are making like you know kind of fun, purposely goofy infestation movies or whatever kind of you know rubber suit monster movies for the fun of it and stuff. Have you encountered? Do you guys look beyond a certain era range when you are looking for stuff? I know you said you want to look for stuff that's PG friendly, obviously too. Well, for the most part, yeah, we we've had contracts with uh, Universal. And Sony Columbia okay. and uh, Shout Factory, and mainly we we haven't gone into anything too modern, obviously. Uh, be, again, because there there is a little more objectionable stuff in it, and also there's a certain quality that we want to maintain if we can. 
you know, we, it's kind of tough sometimes, especially when, you know, you don't have people who are represented by a distributor that, that our company deals with or something. So that, that's kind of like we, we've stayed with these kind of more mainstream type movies. Well, and that makes more sense, too, because obviously uh, Weigel Beyond Me TV has other channels. And, yeah, maybe they're showing the MGMA pictures, you know, just as a, movie, a regular movie block. And then, all right, well, let's go through the MGM library and, you know, do a Tom Thumb or whatever. You know, uh, one of them were – or, God, a few, few weeks ago, the 5,000 Fingers of Dr. T. I was so glad you guys did that. <laughs> That was great. Yes, at least you were. There were several <laughs> viewers who did not take kindly to it and who who really just were like, what is this? Why are you showing this? And, of course, the ever popular, I am never going to watch your program again. P.S. Please send me an autograph. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that was an unusual one. I, we wanted to show it because it really is kind of a cult film. And we thought that people would find it amusing. There was a certain sector of our audience, let us say, that did not. And it made me glad that we did some editing on it, because if we would have left in some of the other stuff... Well, first of all, it was an extremely long movie for our time slot. Understood. And we had to do some edits on it. But uh, if, if I left all the long-range songs and such in it, uh, there probably would be people... Coming here like a scene from a Frankenstein movie with the torches burning, coming to get me. I understand absolutely, man. Well, and that's what's that really surprises me because, yeah, it's got that weird fifties fantasy. Like, I mean, you know, this island Earth is a pure sci-fi thing, but that's the thing. I think you can put that next to a movie like that, and that really surprises me that people had that reaction because it is. It's such a great weird movie that, yeah, it's not. It's not sci-fi. It's not horror. Although it is obviously like kind of a tortured dream for a for a kid, and yeah, I the just I mean it's got that Santa Claus versus the Martians kind of weird what the hell's going on appeal. Sure, but uh, you see, I think we have some people who watch us who have a very narrow viewpoint, and uh, <laughs> if it isn't exactly the type of movie that they want, they're not happy. Yeah. Uh, there are people who complain when we run Godzilla movies. Interesting. And uh, people who complain when we run the Universal Classics, like, oh, not this again. And it's like, my God, these are the Frankenstein movies. Yeah, man. Come on. Well, and I, and I wonder. Oh, yeah. Go on. No, go on, please. No, I was just going to say, it, it's funny because we always talk about the fact that, you know, you can never make everybody happy. <laughs> so, you know, we just have to hope that they'll tolerate the movies that they don't care for as much and, and stick around for whatever's coming up next. Well, I again, I think your selections are great, and I would imagine that yeah, there are like perennials that you almost have to have in there every year. Because I was even thinking about that. It's like, all right, you're on, you know, fifty-two weeks a year, um, you know. So yeah, when you, I mean, I, I would think that yeah, the Universal Classics would be a must. So that doesn't give you yeah. that much room to kind of rotate and put in other, you know, films. You know, you've got like you know, like forty or so weeks, maybe maybe forty-five weeks that aren't. You know, and and yeah, I mean, when I think about it, because obviously not just the first Frankenstein movie, but we want everything through Ghost of Frankenstein, or even I don't even know where Frankenstein nineteen seventy, if that's in one of your syndication chains of pop, you know, possible film things, the old Boris Karloff fifties weird movie, very weird. <laughs> yeah, well, that one was not among ones that we could get, but yeah, we we had most of the core, you know, once it started from the thirties going through to the forties, sure. 
And the same thing with, uh, you know, the Draculas, the House of Dracula, that sort of stuff. And, you know, even up to Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, which is such a popular movie. We we have to run that at least once a year because people demand it so, so often. And then, of course, there's that other faction that says, you know, Oh, you're showing comedy. Why are you showing comedy? (laughs) Like I said, I I can't please everybody all the time. No, I understand. Well, again, I think you succeed. And then also, not just the movies, but I've really been excited that um, you've had so many guest stars recently as well. Dana Gould just came through, and I know Gilbert Gottfried, when he was in town last year, he came through. Um, And I know you've always had guest stars. I remember when John Pertwee, uh, the third doctor from Doctor Who, made his appearance on, on your old show. Yeah, it, it, it's great. And then Gilbert just came by again recently, and it's really nice because, you know, everybody's like, oh, Gilbert Gottfried, he must be so terrible. And he's just the nicest guy <laughs> and very funny. And whenever he comes into town to do stand-up, he makes a point of coming by to, to do something with us on our show. And it, it's really a compliment to me because he knows whatever we're taping He's not going to be able to promote, you know, the the appearance he's making in two days. That you know, it, it doesn't really work as a promotion for him for what he's doing in town. But he still enjoys coming in and doing stuff with us, just because he he's a fan of the show. And that I think that's great. And we've run into so many other people who have ended up like Dana Gould, who are fans of the program. Uh, David Dasmalchen, a really fine actor who was in Ant Man. And uh, was Abracadabra on The Flash. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, he, he's, he's tremendous. And he used to, I think when he was in school here, he, he started watching me and was, was a big fan. Um, and, uh, wow, who else? Uh, Bill Hader from Saturday Night Live. Fantastic. Was Will Wheaton, who was last year at C2E2, and was just beside himself so happy <laughs> to meet me which was very cool. And uh, other people, you know, like uh, we run into Malcolm McDowell and uh, Vincent Price's daughter, Victoria Price. Fantastic. Uh, Jerry the King Lawler uh, is a big fan. <laughs> and also uh, Mick Foley. So we've got a wide range of people who are, who are fans of ours. And it, it's a big compliment to me. I'm always really happy to see it. One of the people coming in for C2E2, uh, Mark Shepard, who was Crowley on Supernatural. Oh, yes. Uh, Turns out he's a fan of the show, too. So I'm looking forward to meeting him and and maybe getting to shoot something with him as well. That's excellent, man. You know, you were nice enough three years ago at uh, C2E2. We did an interview right uh, after you had finished your autograph session. And Joel Hodgson of Mystery Science Theater 3000, before we started shooting, is like, hey, I just want to, you know, and he wanted to shake your hand and say how much of an inspiration... You were to Mystery Science Theater 3000, and I know he said something to the effect of, you know, so many of my uh, stand-up comedian friends in L.A. just love you. And again, anecdotally, I've heard the same thing from other comedians as well. And I was just so thrilled that I'm like, Jesus, man, here's this guy. And again, because, you know, especially coming from Chicago and everything, you know, you're a, you're a UHF survivor and star. And I mean, and and, you know, for people who grew up in that you know, less than five channel world. And in Chicago, we were lucky. Maybe we had seven channels in the seventies or whatever, but that's the thing, man. And then I'm really glad that, uh, you're, you're appreciated 
for you know what you do and and by these other really funny people that think you're funny as well i know it's it's amazing to me and such a compliment and as well as joel uh trace bullio and uh yes. frank conniff yes uh have become friends with us too oh, and great. they even came on the show once wandered through <laughs> and i know they they've worn they've worn sven t-shirts when they do some of their uh public appearance things and riffing and uh, two terrific, very funny guys. And again, it's such a such a big compliment. And then in the music world, people like Rob Zombie, who That's you know great. has actually handcrafted his own Spenguli shirt <laughs> using parts of ones that we've had. Uh, and you probably know about Freddie Cannon, famous 1960s uh, rock and roll artist. Yeah, boom, Freddie Boom Boom, boom Cannon. Palisades Park. Yes, got in touch with us out of nowhere. We didn't even know, and he's, he's like, hey, I wrote a song for you. I watch your show every week, and I love it, and my wife said, why don't you write a song about him? So he wrote the Sven Gulli Stomp. Oh, my God. And uh, just just incredible stuff, and, and people like uh, the Go-Go's Gina Schock, uh, Jim Peterick. Wow. Uh, it's amazing to me, and the, the person I always bring up, and I hope you forgive me for bringing him up so often, is uh, Mark Hamill. Wow. And... Uh, this is a goofy story, and I tell it a lot, so I hope you don't mind if I tell it again. <laughs> he sent me an email just saying, you know, I, when I was growing up, I was like, an, uh, my dad was in the military, and we traveled around a lot, and I saw a lot of horror hosts. And he said, I've been watching you, and I really think that you're really great, and I really enjoy it, and I'm a big fan. And I'm thinking, this is so cool. And I'm thinking, okay, now. Myself, as a bottom feeder celebrity, there are people who pretend to be me. So I'm thinking, okay, this is real flattering, but I, I was kind of like, well, how do I know this is really you? And he said, well, give me your phone number and I'll call you. And I'm thinking, oh yeah, God. that would be a smart move wow. if it's not him. So I, I remembered he had a Twitter account that was, you know, validated. And I said, I tell you what, just put something on Twitter and I'll know it's you. And he said, okay, fine. So I'm waiting, and, you know, an hour goes by, nothing, two hours, nothing, three hours, and I'm like, okay, yeah, you're Mark Hamill. And all of a sudden, up comes the thing that says, one of the coolest things I discovered this summer was the Svengooli program on MeTV. And it was him. Wow. Uh, I sent him my phone number. He called me. First time we talked, probably about 45 minutes. Uh, he's still a big fan of the show. And he keeps saying, you know, he hasn't been back to Chicago in the time that, that we've been in contact, but he keeps saying, we're going to meet someday. It is our destiny. Oh, so that's... I guess it's a Jedi <laughs> destiny for me now. <laughs> that's amazing. Did you ask him about, uh, and forgive me, I gotta, I'm wondering, because I'd want to know about the Hanna-Barbera voiceover stuff he did back when he was a kid? Oh, yeah, we talked about that. And, and especially when he got to work with Joe Besser, from the Three Stooges in the uh, Teenage Genie cartoon. Of course, absolutely. He was Corey. The, the, he was like the Major Nelson of that cartoon. Absolutely, man. For people who have never seen yeah, Major so. Genie. But yeah, Joe Besser. <laughs> yes. That reminds me. They're not exactly in high rotation, I don't think. <laughs> I know. I'm so bummed, Boomerang, to get all that great 60s and 70s stuff. You have to pay extra. And it's like, come on, man. There's got to be, you know, with yeah. the adult love of cartoons that people our age that you know, still love that stuff. It's like, really, you're going to gouge us? Fine. All right. Or just buy the DVDs, obviously. I'm actually uh, talking to Tim Matheson uh, on, on the podcast uh, in a couple weeks. Uh, and, you know, he oh, cool. not only, of course, uh, 
Eric Stratton from uh, Animal House. Damn glad to meet you. Mm-hmm. But also uh, was the original Johnny Quest. So uh, right, so, yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited to be talking to him. But anyway, back to you. That's terrific. Oh, thanks, man. No, well, and again, truly, man, uh, you are you are part of that uh, pantheon lately, where I've been very lucky and happy to talk to people like yourself, Dana Gould, and yeah, coming up, Tim Matheson. So no, it's a it's a pleasure, and also. You know, it's like you said, you know, getting to meet Mark Hamill and stuff. That's fantastic. And, um, you know, I wondered as a kid, did you ever get a chance? Did did any of the horror greats come through town? And did you ever have a chance to meet any of them? Because I know they obviously passed away, likely when you were either still in high school or college. Yeah, actually, no, I never got the chance to, to meet any of them. Um, you know, and I, I wish I could have, certainly. Sure. And, you know, there's a whole list of people I wish I could have met, including... The uh, Three Stooges. But, uh, you know, I've, I've gotten to meet some of the more modern people, like Robert Englund, who, again, Fantastic. turned out to be a fan of the show. Amazing. And Lance Henriksen. Wow. Um, yes. And I, I found out that, you know, outstanding makeup artist Rick Baker is, is watching the show every week. <laughs> and I, I was in touch with him via email, and I just said, you know, wow, well, you know, it, it's cool. I know you must love the movies. And he said... I have all the movies. I'm watching this because you're on. And it's like, wow. (laughs) I don't even know how to respond to that. That's great, man. Well, you know, and again, that is, it's true. We want to watch your spin on these things. And it's, you know, I mean, I grew up with Creature Features along with Svengoolie back in the 70s. So I've seen the Universal Monster movies a million times. But no, I I like seeing you comment on them. We love your parody songs. You know, I worked at uh, The Score the Chicago uh, all mm-hmm. you know, sports station, and I used to do parody sure. songs for them. And, I, you know, honestly, Rich, again, being just, you know, a decade ahead of me and everything, I really, broadcasting, the way broadcasting was in the 70s, especially in my memory, and even into the early 80s, I was really hoping for that kind of sketch radio and that kind of thing. And that's why I've enjoyed talking to people like Phil Proctor from Fireside Theater that, you know, did that kind of radio and, and you know, that kind of thing. And I know you did it as well. You know, uh, on radio, and then of course you're still doing it in with Svengoolie, where you're coming up with your skits and you're coming up with your parody songs, and and that's that's terrific and fun, and yeah, it's part of it's part of the kitsch that makes the show great. Yeah, and you know, and that was the kind of stuff that I enjoyed when I was growing up, and to be able to do it now and have been been doing it <laughs> and making a living at it, uh, you know, I can't think of anything better than that, other than you know somebody just. Dying and sending me a million dollars in inheritance or something, but since that's probably not going to happen, I'm I'm very happy with with you know what I'm doing and the chance the fact that again you know the management here believes in me and you know likes what I do, which is not always the case depending on where you work and some of the places that I've worked, and uh, you know to have that kind of support. And then, you know, to be seen all over the country now and have the support of all these people all over the place, it, it, it means everything to me. It's tremendous. It's, it's like I always say, I wish this had happened to me when I was younger and had a little more energy and was a little more healthy. But nonetheless, I'll take it now. I understand, man. Well, and I'm glad you've got a guy like Neil Sabin that, that believed in you, brought you back because you had your run as uh, Son of Svengoolie from... 79 to like the mid 80s and then uh channel 32 changed hands and went from field communications to fox 
and Fox didn't think you were appropriate, I guess, for, you know, continuing the show for a while. So you had your period where you were kind of in the wilderness uh, before coming back with the Cozone and then thankfully back with Svengoolie as well. Yeah, I always remember when uh, the general manager, when they were changing to Fox, said, yes, well, we we just don't think that that your show is going to be suitable for for a network. (laughs) And then the Joan Rivers late night show was. And it's like, okay, well, whatever. And a bit of trivia about that. Uh, the guy that does all my music stuff, guy I've known since high school, who plays Doug Graves, Doug Sharp, uh-huh. was actually a trumpet player in the band of that late Joan Rivers wow. show. Oh, that's crazy! That's really wild. Yeah. So when you guys, I mean, does he? Do you guys co-write the songs together? Then obviously, the you know, I mean, a lot of times it is kind of in that great. And forgive me because again, you predated that weird Al Yankovic style of oh, let's take a hit and and rewrite it. And certainly that's what I was doing with the score and stuff was. You know, wipe out wipe out the lyrics and you know play a. And this is well before karaoke music became available for me. But you know, yeah, you got Doug. So are you guys writing the songs together? Basically, what happens is I hit upon an idea for a song, a song that will work, and sometimes it's only based on just you know one line or one group of words. And I'll just figure out how much of the song we're going to use. I'll let Doug know, and, you know, if he needs an example, I'll find an example of the original tune for him, although he knows most of them. And then I'll just write it, and when he comes in for us to record it, we do, like, one rehearsal and then just, just put it on tape. <laughs> that's excellent, man. And, again, that's, a, that's what's great about this show. It has that wonderful homemade quality to it. And I've never, I've never been over to your studios I have friends who've come over, and again, the magic of television, the people that I know that have seen the set, it's like, seriously, man, have you seen how small it is? It, like, comes out of the wall like a Murphy bed and just kind of pops out, and it's like, here it is. Yeah, you know, actually, there's been a change in that now. They moved us into a different studio where we can leave the set up all the time, (laughs) which is good because it takes a lot of the wear and tear out of, literally, the walls would fold in, and they'd have to, you know, pull a curtain in front of it. But now we get to leave it up all the time. Well, that's good. And uh, actually, that, that benefits us quite a bit. And all the lighting is always set and everything, so it's easier for us to just go in and record stuff. But sometimes, yeah, you'll have to come by. And, and uh, maybe if you're extra good, we'll let you throw chickens. Oh, that'd be great, man. Absolutely. The chickens, exactly. The, the, staple, the staple of the show that goes back, goes back to the Jerry Genie uh, years as well. That's, that's fantastic. Too damn funny. And I have friends who I know have come in line and, and had you as I'm sure you've signed thousands of rubber chickens over the years by now. Yeah, and I've always been amazed that I know so much about rubber chickens <laughs> and about the different varieties of them and such, and uh, which ones are harder to sign, the ones especially with the little, you know, not goose bumps, I guess chicken bumps, that I have to negotiate <laughs> around with the pen. Uh, the best rubber chickens used to come from Italy, but I don't see too many of those anymore. <laughs> That might explain the collapse of the Italian market as we know it today. So, uh, <laughs> well, I don't want to brag, but yeah, probably. <laughs> that's fantastic, Jesus. Um, you know, I mentioned uh, Hodgson earlier, um, and again, I guess maybe not. I was going to ask you if you are you ever concerned that when uh, Mystery Science Theater maybe did a movie and or other parody shows, because certainly a lot of other parody shows popped up in the nineties. And, you know, other uh, certainly other horror hosts as well. But do you ever worry that, you know, in certain cases, nah, you know something, they did it the best. I'm not, we're not going to play with that movie. 
No, not really. You know, because everybody's got different takes on things. Sure. And, you know, everybody comes from different directions for the most part. There are certainly, you know, similar senses of humor working there. But, uh, yeah, we never really worried about, uh, you know, that we were stepping on somebody else's toes or vice versa. It's like, you know, I always said, you know, and this was even when there were other people doing uh, horror movie host shows locally here that were on, you know, public access and stuff, and they'd always, you know, Oh, I'm out to get you. Look out. I'm going to steal your viewers. And, you know, my whole thing was, you know, there's room for everybody. You know, some people are going to like certain shows and some people are not going to like them. And, you know, you just do it. You know, you're the only person you should be in competition with really is yourself to do the best stuff that you can and the stuff that's going to work. And basically that's it. Are there, um, you know, and I'm really glad you have that philosophy, Rich. And And truly, uh, as someone that is now middle aged as well, or at least that I'll claim that being in being in their early fifties, it's really great to see that you are are succeeding, doing you know the kind of show that you want to do, and you've got a platform to do it and an audience that that truly does love it. And and like you said, you you won't, you really have to satisfy yourself. That's something I try to do with my own broadcast career and even in this podcast. So I'm I'm glad that you said that. And, you know, there's also a lot of people that listen to the show that are aspiring writers and artists that want to get in the comic book business. I talk to a lot of comic book creators and also filmmakers and television people as well. And, yeah, it's it's great to hear that kind of advice. And, uh, and yeah, they're, they're looking for that kind of inspiration. So it's great to see that, you know, if you want to keep doing it and you do it well, you know, you're going to find an audience. And I, and I really think that you're proof of that with the show and the show's success. Well, well, thanks. And one thing that I always remember is I remember reading an interview with somebody from SCTV, which is always one of my favorite TV shows. Oh, yeah. And they they said, basically, what we were doing, we were writing stuff that would make us laugh. And I think I'm kind of doing the same thing. I'm writing stuff that I would laugh at or groan at, certainly, and that, you know, will make the guys that I work with laugh. And... Uh, yeah, th- that's kind of a, the ground zero testing ground there. It's like, you know, if we find it funny, hopefully people out there are doing it as well. Um, do you, and, and I want to ask about the Stooges, but before I do, staying on this on this tack, are there other kind of uh, media things that you would want to do? You are such a film buff and, you know, amateur film historian, I mean, you know, if I don't know if the television show immediately accredits you or not, but you know what I mean. Um, but, like, would, would you want to do any sort of, like, you know, sitting down and talking about old movies, even, whether it's a podcast or some sort of video beyond uh, the, the platform that you have with Svengooli? It'd be fun to do. The thing at this point really is finding the time to do it. Sure. Because as, as we've gone along here, and now, you know, with the, the whole national show and handling all the social media and everything else, and, of course, you know, basically, I write the show, I screen the movie when it first comes in and figure out where to break it down into segments, and if something has to be cut, you know, what has to be cut or whatever, and then I help out with the post-production as well. Uh, and I don't have a heck of a lot of time, and I do like to spend time with my family. So <laughs> uh, right now, it just seems like, like the schedule is pretty bland with public appearances as well. Uh, there's a lot going on, but, yeah, there's, there's a lot of things. I'd still love to do radio again someday. I always had a great time doing radio. I could tell. Now, you're, you're a true broadcaster, man, and it's, uh, 
it, it, it definitely comes through. And, and then, again, I can appreciate not having enough time. I know I would love to see you in other capacities because I know you can do it. And, again, based on what you know, the time that you do, do it on, on the show. So I, I could see that. How long does it take from, like, hey, we want to do a movie that we've never done before to uh, it get, you know, being broadcast ready? It, it depends because a lot of times, you know, while I'm working on the new thing, I'm working on the post-production for the last one we did. And as well as that, then we're, we're checking on reruns that we're going to have coming up and finding out what we have to replace in those. Uh, basically, it, it may, let's say it's over a two-week stretch. Uh, I would get the movie. I'd screen it. Uh, like I said, break it down into uh, – and I take real copious notes on each movie that we do. And I, I handwrite them in my handwriting, which is – mostly legible to me and not too many other people. If you see one of my scripts, you'll know what I mean. And uh, so I, I work on that. I, I get that done. Then I'm thinking about what I'm going to do and then get that written up. And then we head into the studio. And usually we tape maybe four days out of a month and and get done everything for the next month. Wow. So it, it's, it, yeah, it, it's hard to put an exact time frame on it. But I would say, you know, maybe two, two and a half weeks is, is basically it. Okay. And do you redo, like, you know, when you do present Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, do you do new in-betweeners and, and things like that? Or, you know, are you, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to rip the, the curtain away, wizard, and <laughs> reveal all your secrets if not. But, you know, uh, yeah. How, how often do you freshen up old movies? We do. Well, there's always at least one new segment, uh, the male segment, in every show we do. Okay, sure. But, uh, again, with some of the stuff, it's like if the joke worked or the bit worked, I don't see any reason to replace it. Uh, and, and we'll leave it. But we do, we, we, we do freshen up shows, certainly, as we go along. We'll redo opens and closes, especially. Uh, and, you know, if, if there's something that's really dated, we'll take that out and do something new, you know, because... You hate to have some something running where it's like, well, President Reagan said. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> That's true. Well, you know, and the great thing is with your costume, the look really hasn't changed. God, and I didn't even realize, you know, Sonus Fanguli started in 79. I mean, I'm sure there's been subtle changes here and there uh, with, with, the, with the outfit and, and the wig. Is the wig still the original wig? Actually, just recently, we we got a new one, uh, and and it was funny because it, it we did an appearance at Fantasy Costumes, very famous place here in Chicago, and uh, I mentioned them. You know, I've been thinking of getting a new wig, and they said, well, "Let us help you out with that." And they came up with a great wig for me. The thing is, it was a little more voluminous than the old one, although it was exactly the way the old one was when it was brand new. <laughs> so we actually have had to kind of you know. Tone it down a little bit. <laughs> One of the ways we do that, believe it or not, is to take like those dryer sheets and rub it on that. <laughs> you know, like like bounce or something sure, like that, sure. and it actually takes it down and and makes it a little more manageable. Oh man, a, see now, and for all you beauticians out I was there, getting, Rich, I was going to say, see if I were on your writing staff, I would have been like, oh, we've got to do a rule of Lenska. Where you could do a before and after, and and show your you know voluminous hair before and after and everything before you distressed it. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's and there have been yeah little changes in the outfit. Back when I was at FLD, uh, a lot of times I would just wear a, a, a t-shirt, 
and we had that awful 1970s green disco scarf. Hilarious. And there was a, I had a chain on my costume, and that chain actually came from a wall clock I had at home that looked like a pocket watch <laughs> that I adapted with. And when, when I came here to uh, WCIU at first, I thought, well, let's, let's update this. And here's where the brilliance comes in. I said, I know, I'll wear a red turtleneck under the hot lights. I'll wear a red turtleneck. Not the smartest move I ever made. So eventually we replaced it with a red tuxedo shirt. Oh, that's <laughs> and, hilarious. Sure. Uh, that was a little more comfortable. Sure. Absolutely. Oh, my God. That's amazing, man. Well, um, do we have time? I don't, are we holding up a, a Teamster meeting or something in the conference room if we, if we uh, got a couple more minutes? Yeah, sure. Okay, cool. I appreciate it. I, uh, I wanted to ask about uh, your love of uh, the Stooges because – Stoogapalooza was another big show that you hosted for years. Also, Saturday Night Black and White, and we used to get to watch you do your great imitations of Jack Benny and some of the others uh, on that. But uh, yeah, tell me about tell me about your Stooge fascination. I've uh, loved the Stooges since I was a kid. We would go over to one of our relatives' house, and uh, my old Italian great uncle loved to watch the Stooges. But my great aunt absolutely disliked them because she thought it was so terrible. She was very funny because she took it like it was for real. And when Mo would slap somebody, she'd be, oh, my God, that's just so terrible. And then when Mo would get hit by somebody else, she'd say, good for him, the big boss, good for him. (laughs) She really didn't want my uncle to watch it. But when we kids would be over, he'd say, hey, you want to watch the Stooges? And, of course, we said, sure. So he'd put them on. <laughs> and that was his way of getting to watch it without blame because he could tell, hey, the kids who want to watch it, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> but I uh, loved them since, since I was a kid. And uh, what, when I was at uh, FLD, we had them for a while sure. and ran them late night, and I hosted that in one of the co-zone versions. And then when I came here, uh, Neil Saban is also like a huge fan of the Three Stooges. He absolutely loves them and knows all the shorts. And eventually we got the rights to them. And uh, that was where Stoogapalooza came from. We'd run like five of the shorts every week. And I'd try to come up with a uh, theme each week. And sometimes it was a little bit of a stretch, but... You know, what can you do? You can't make all those fit in. But we ran all 190 of them, and uh, I'd find background material and do research so we could talk about what went on in the shorts and the different actors and, you know, funny things that happened along the way in the uh, filming of them. I absolutely loved it. And here's good news if you're a Stooge fan. Next month, we're going to be running the famous 1950s Stooge movie, Have Rocket Will Travel. Excellent. The first one. That's their first movie. Yeah. Their fir- well, exactly. Actually, well, yeah, their first their first feature after their syndication success, because obviously, right as you after well know, after their shorts after their shorts became such a big hit on TV, and finally they could make some money. Yes. After all that time, uh, yeah, and the one that introduced Curly Joe Dorita, a hero to many, but you know, what could I say? <laughs> You know, I wanted to ask about the other third Stooges because obviously we all love Larry. And I think as we become such Stooge fans, it's like, you know, Shemp is awesome. And shame on us for maybe, you know, not liking Shemp just because he wasn't Curly. Um, sure. And again, as you even get older, Larry, now the genius of Larry suddenly. I mean, Mo, Mo is a rock. I mean, Mo's the straight man. Mo's goofy when he needs to be. And I, I, you love Mo. 
you know, my favorite line of Moe's was always in the one with uh, Curly when they were about to rejoin the army, not realizing it. And Curly starts to say, hey, wait a minute, I don't think. And Moe says, every time you think, you weaken the nation. And I, yeah. that's just such a great Mo line. <laughs> that's a great line. Oh, my God. Yeah, I love that one, too. But, yeah, you know. And another one. Oh, yeah. There's a subtle little thing. You know, they're about to do something, and they're trying to figure out how to do it. And Larry says to Moe, I'm like, well, do you think it would be possible? And Mo goes, I don't think it would be possible. <laughs> I do remember that. <laughs> well, and also then now it's all the weird stuff like the guy, uh, Joe, and I forget his last name, and I'm counting on you to know, fake Shemp. The, uh, oh, Joe Palma. Thank yeah. you, Joe Palma. Talk about Joe Palma for a second. Yeah. Uh, after Shemp passed away, and this, this seems kind of creepy to me. They they redid some of the shorts, and they'd add new footage into it. There were like four of them, yep. and they needed somebody to fill in for Shemp. So this actor Joe Palma, who shows up in in some of the other shorts just as as an actor, was Shemp. And you know they'd shoot him from the back, and there were a couple times where he did the beep 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 beep, but it sounds terrible. <laughs> you can tell this is not Shemp. <laughs> but you know that, that that was their way of getting past. You know, right after Shemp passed away, before they could get Joe Besser in to be the third stooge. Yeah, and man, those those Besser ones are just like weird curiosities, in in my personal opinion. I, I they're rough, they're rough to get through. But I I appreciate. Don, I have to tell you. Go ahead. I have to tell you. Every time we'd run those, <laughs> I would get so much hate mail. There was one guy who would send me emails. It was a full page of repeated over and over again. No Joe. No Joe. No Joe. <laughs> It doesn't surprise me, man. And now you know Antenna TV, one of the uh, MeTV competitors out there, or maybe no, isn't isn't that also a Weigel company? No. Oh, it's not. Nope. Okay, excuse me. But no. I, they're running Joey Bishop reruns, and I was too old to, or too young rather to to see Joey Bishop. And now watching it because I I interviewed Joe Besser from my high school radio station, and he wasn't the nicest oh, guy. Wow. And yeah, it was it was honestly I'm thrilled that I got to do it, and I wish I had I had held on to the cassette. Uh, but sure, but uh, he, yeah, he was kind of, he wasn't the nicest guy and was kind of, and it was funny because it was before the Stooges got their star. It was like 1980 or maybe 1981. Mm-hmm. And he was really yeah. mean and really like, you know, I did a lot of other things other than those that year or so at the Stooges. I was on that girl. I was on, uh, I was on Joey Bishop show and I'm not even doing the voice, right? but <laughs> I was on Joey Bishop. <laughs> So, uh, but yeah, not so hard. And yeah, man, I don't know. Even Stinky on Abbott and Costello it was just like, I don't know, man. He he just didn't do it. And certainly, with he was doing his own thing at the time that Larry and Mo were, you know, doing classic Stooge, and it just, yeah, it was oil and water. I mean, and Joe Dorita certainly was softer than <laughs> the others, unfortunately. But you know, he didn't he didn't get in the way. Of the bit, the way that I thought. Best no, exactly. And and uh, if you watch when we show uh, Have Rocket Will Travel, we'll tell a little bit about the history of how he originally was asked to be a stooge after Curly died, and turned it down. Oh, I didn't so, know that. Uh, wow. If you tune in, we run. Yeah, if you tune in, tune in. I don't want to give it away now. Sure, you know? of course. No, we <laughs> but, want to watch uh, the show. Absolutely, oh. man. That's really yeah. interesting. Well, and I've seen him, and I'm hoping that you will uh, find some of these other films that he did. I mean, I know. You know, he and Mo and Larry are in Four for Texas, a uh, uh, Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin movie with uh, uh, sure. Anita Eckberg and also uh, and, um, Ursula Andrews. 
and it's and you know they've got some funny moments in that. But I know there's some other western that I stumbled on Turner Classic Movies where he was a judge or something like that, and you know just was a character. Would that have been? Would that have been the Bravados with Gregory Peck? I think it was the Bravados with Gregory Peck. That's nice, man. I kind of figured uh, that's great, man. Well, we're gonna get a good dose of Joe Dorita. Is it gonna really be the a lot? Of, I mean, a lot of uh, in, in between stuff about Joe. Oh yeah, we we tell a lot about him and his <laughs> career, and uh, you know, it, it, it's all fascinating to me uh, how uh, one of the things about the Stooges that amazes me is from the start of their their career with Columbia to the end of it, they never got a raise. They got $60,000 every year to be divided three ways. Wow. Wow. And then I'm sure we talk about back in the thirties, that was a lot of money, but as you go along and you realize, boy, they were there forever. And, and look at that. And of course, when the shorts ran on TV, they didn't get any money out of that because right. there was no residual clause or anything. But that was when they could go out and make so much money just doing public appearances and, uh, you know, making these new movies and everything. So it kind of, you know, was finally their chance to make some bigger money. Yeah, and, I, and it is. It, it, it was thankful that, at least in their last years, they finally did get, you know, money uh, comparable to what they what they put out there. And I, I saw that uh, documentary, I'm wondering if you did, that most Sun put together. And it was it was good. There, oh yeah. yeah, there was a lot of good information in there. I thought it was a little padded to be the, the nine part documentary that it was, but there was really interesting information in there. And yeah, it's really sad that. Yeah, and go ahead. Yeah, please tell me your thoughts on it. And uh, it being Mo's son too, there were times when it seemed like <laughs> it was a little bit too much of how saintly Mo was, because <laughs> there was certain information that was kind of like. Yeah, okay, next. Oh, that's but, interesting. Uh, I haven't read any, uh, like, you know, if Mo wasn't, you know, a great guy or anything like that. Is, is there? Oh, no, he, he was okay, but, like, certain business things and things like that that kind of were glossed over. And, uh, I mean, hey, we all we all have our wrinkles. Oh, and sure. uh, <laughs> I don't want to cast asparagus on Mo. <laughs> I understand. I, uh, But, you know, hey, are there... Either beyond, uh, you know, I mean, unfortunately, it's all the family books of uh, the Three Stooges scrapbook and, uh, you know, Moe's Mo's biography or autobiography that he wrote. Um, And I know there was a Chicago guy, Jeff Forrester, who did like the Stooges Chronicles, I remember when I was in college in the 80s, an unauthorized book. And I remember the family being really mad about that, too. Another guy that I got to talk to was Moe's son-in-law, Norman Maurer. And had, Mm -hmm. had I known then what I know now, I didn't know about his comic book career and working with, oh, yeah. Yeah, working with Joe Kubert and being one of the main guys that created 3D comics in the 50s, you know, came up working. Yeah, that's very impressive. Yeah, man. No, absolutely. Very impressive. And I, I wish I had known that stuff. I spoke to him as Mo's son-in-law, the guy that produced their movies and, you know, kind of ran their career in their last years. Yeah, from a you know from a management standpoint and a producer standpoint. Sure. So yeah, we I get yeah. a great conversation, really interesting stuff. Also, Edward Burns, uh, the one of the short oh directors. wow yeah, and again, wish I knew more about Edward Burns because I would have asked him about working with the Bowery Boys and comparing comparing that with his work with the Stooges and everything. Not only as a director, but as a you know going back to being Frank Capra's sound man and being a big sound man at Columbia for years before they let him starting to direct. Yeah. It's really a shame that, you know, now 
you know, all these people are gone. Yeah, man. And, you know, there's so many questions you have that <laughs> nobody really can answer anymore because even the pe- most of the people who are around then are not with us anymore. Agreed. So it, it, it's a shame. It, it's a lot of incredibly fascinating information that, that uh, we'll never know. Yeah, and, and it is. You're right. And that, that's why I think we're still fascinated with or will be with the 20th century because as opposed to today where every – you know, movement is is captured on video. Um, there is there are chunks missing from, and certainly from the first half of the 20th century. Uh, but even yeah, going up to you know the 70s and 80s, where not everything was filmed or, or taped. And yeah, it's a shame that we can't talk to those people. So yeah, that's why it's you know I, I think it's good, and I try to do some comic history podcasts when I can as well to talk to people who do know or who have the information and can set the record straight. On you know things that are kind of ambiguous or left to speculation, so pretty neat. Yeah, stuff. and, and I, I think that's important. You know, you 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 have to you know hear about this stuff from the past. You know, the whole thing about people who ignore the past are going to have to experience it again. <laughs> uh, I think there's a lot of truth to that. Agreed. And and yes, and and you know, where are you on the Blondie movies? Yay or nay? Oh, I like the Blondie <laughs> movies. I know they're kind of silly, but. <laughs> Uh, you know Arthur Lake. Uh, <laughs> I, I, he he always made me laugh, and uh, yeah, and we used to run those when I was at WSLD. Sure, I remember. And we we once did a parody. Remember they used to have a little song that was built into the uh, intros yes. that was done by the syndication people, and we we did a takeoff on it when the movie Gandhi was big. We did Dagwood and Gandhi, <laughs> and I always I always liked that bit. See, for that alone, I all right, now, now you've gone up a notch. You've given me more uh, credence to the Arthur Lake Blondie movies. All right, fair enough. Mon Pa Kettle, <laughs> of course, another great uh, series of films. Sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're killing it again. Well, I'm looking forward to our conversation next week at C2E2, and I'll have, I'll have more straight-up questions, but this was like my, uh, my attempt to kind of uh, go into a few areas with you and uh, promote the fact that uh, – you're coming on, and I and I, I can't wait to interview you live. And of course, every Saturday night, Spanguli on Me TV. And you told me because I saw in the in the uh, listings that it was going to be. I thought it was going to be the Creature Walks Among Us or Return of the Creature, one of the two. But you told me instead it's something else. Hello, are you there? Yeah, it was like a. I don't know. Skype just quit on me for a second, so I. I oh, okay, yeah, because I noticed the little green lights on yeah. the phone thing here went off. <laughs> Hold on one second. I just want to make sure we're recording again. Yeah, okay. All right, and then and then and that's fine because I think I got you know I'll ask my question again. <clears throat> sure. I just want to remind everyone, of course, that Svengoli is on uh, every Saturday night. Uh, and uh, I, as I was reading in the listings, I thought it was going to either be the que- Creature Walks Among Us or Revenge of the Creature from the Black Lagoon. But you told me before we started recording that it was going to be something different. Yeah, unfortunately, there there was some confusion about, you know, when we have contracts for movies, there are certain, as they call them, windows of time when we're allowed to run the movie. Oh, sure. It's not like we can run them anytime we want. And there was some confusion about when we had those movies available. And because of that, uh, they were not scheduled for, for when we thought they were. And we had to plug in something else. That's why we had to do a rerun of Ants last week. And this week... We've got Godzilla versus Monster Zero, and I don't think it's giving anything away to say that Monster Zero is actually Ghidra, the three-headed monster. So, <laughs> Fantastic. It's a lot of fun. And we've got some great stuff coming up. Uh, 
later this year, of course, more Universal movies, uh, some of the William Castle movies. Hey, great. And you know, we, men- we mentioned The Blob. That's going to be coming up. Cool. Um, and we're starting off April with Dinosaurus. <laughs> Is that one of the Corman uh, recent... Uh... No, no. This this was actually it was made by the same people who made the Blob. Oh wow! And I think it was their follow up movie, where dinosaurs are pulled out of some bay in some South American island or something, and they end up thawing out and creating havoc. As does a Neanderthal man who also is frozen there, which might not be scientifically correct, but you know what am I going to do? <laughs> when you mention William Castle, I'm really glad because. God, that uh, I recently saw uh, from a year or two ago, maybe longer, a Great William Castle documentary, and you know the poor man's Hitchcock in a, in a really entertaining way, and also of course his great uh, triumph, uh, getting the rights to Rosemary's Baby, and hanging on tight, and kind of telling you know Polanski in the studio, hey, if you want to make this, I'm involved, or you're not making it, and that's awesome that he finally <laughs> got to do a great A movie. Before he was done, but I have a very successful man, and of course parodied in uh, matinee with uh, John Goodman. Yeah, that, that, that's one of my favorites too. I always enjoy it. There's a great book that uh, Castle wrote, something like you know, something about America. I'm going to scare the pants off you or something, <laughs> and it's a great story of, of a lot of his life. It, it's really an enjoyable read and tells you so much about him. Have you, um, will you have the opportunity, I wonder if on the horror circuit, have you ever met his daughter? I have not, no. I'd, I'd, I'd love to. You know, that would certainly be somebody I could have a great conversation with. Yeah, she's, uh, but, uh, she's got good stories. Yeah, absolutely, man. I've seen her perform, you know, and, and do things. And I think probably in service to that documentary that came out about her dad a few years ago. But, uh, yeah, pretty cool, man. No, and I'm glad you had Victoria Price. I got to see her live show where uh, she was at... Um, Oh God, the uh, the theater uh, they used for uh, Public Enemy, right at Six Corners. What am I thinking? Oh, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, that's you, so cool. Yeah, she's really nice. We we uh, run into her a few times, and she's always been just a sweetheart. And again, talk about having great stories. She's terrific. That's excellent. Well, it sounds like you got a great slate of stuff coming up. Um, did you say what's what's running instead this Saturday? Yes, that was uh, Godzilla versus Monsters Zero. Of course you did. Excuse me. Yes, Toho Finest. (laughs) All right. Absolutely, man. That's great. And uh, yeah, man. And then a week uh, later, uh, we'll be uh, we'll be talking at C two E two Saturday afternoon at one forty five. Check your local listings for the proper conference room. But uh, I'll I'll, (laughs) I'll, I'll mention it in the wrap. But seriously, man, great great chance to meet you and and have this opportunity to talk. And really looking forward to talking to you face to face next Saturday. Well, thank you, John. And same here. It's going to be a lot of fun, I think. And uh, just to let people know, I'm going to be signing two days this year. Usually I only do one. I'll be there Friday from 2 to 3 p.m. at table number 34, so I'm told. And then Saturday from noon to 1.30, we'll do an hour and a half signing, I think at the same table, right before we do our panel. So uh, please come out and see me. I do sign for free. But we oftentimes will have to limit people to just one per person, depending on how long the line is. And they get long. So absolutely, man, if you're thinking about it, uh, you know, plan in advance. And uh, it's worth the experience. It's uh, uh, really, man, a pleasure. And I'm really looking forward to seeing you. And again, congratulations on what you do and what you continue to do. Continue to do it as long as you want to. And uh, uh, you will have many uh, thousands, if not uh, hundreds of thousands of viewers at this point. 
Thank you, John. And let me just say, at this point in my life, it's nice to have a job. <laughs> That's Sven Gulli. I hope you'll come and see us talk at C2E2, Saturday, April 7th at 1.45. Of course, Sven Gulli, Saturday nights, 7 p.m. Central, 8 p.m. Eastern on MeTV. And uh, also go to SvenGulli.com and pick up some incredible merch. Uh, he's got buttons that are designed by Scott Shaw and Alex Ross. They're amazing. Great T-shirts, hilarious posters, a fake uh, movie monster poster. It came from Berwyn, of course, classic, but uh, very funny stuff from Sven Gulli. Also, so many great clips of Sven Gulli on YouTube. Just, you know, search for him. You'll also see a bunch of Jerry G. Bishop clips as well. And Jerry had his uh, share of celebrity guests as well. Mort Saul, Professor Irwin Corey, hilarious. And uh, also ones that uh, Rich and I didn't talk about that have uh, visited him. Uh, people like Vicki Lawrence and some of the other MeTV stars. Uh, really great stuff. And uh, yeah, just do yourself a favor and uh, do a deep dive in YouTube and enjoy some great Sven Gulli. But uh, really great to uh, talk to Rich. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I'm going to present the panel uh, in a, a week or so after C2E2 uh, for people who aren't able to join us in Chicago. But uh, looking forward to our second conversation because there's so much more to talk about. Thanks again for listening today to Word Balloon. More great stuff coming up as we get into April. Have a great weekend. Until next time, Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions, copyright 2018. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.